Welcome to the Write Book Project, a Write Book Company radio production. You're listening to episode three. My name is Dave Harris and I'm here with my co-presenter Sue Richardson to explore the whys and wherefores of book publishing and how writing a book can enhance your business and personal profile. Sue's a publishing expert who's been in the book business for many years and has written her own book, The Authority Guide to Publishing Your Business Book. She's the director of SRA Books and the Right Book Company and has helped hundreds of professionals, entrepreneurs, experts and thought leaders boost their businesses and profiles with game-changing books. Um, This podcast is all about you. Don't forget that. And it's about your journey to writing a book. So please get involved by joining our Facebook group, The Right Book Project, or tweet at The Right Book Co. You'll find notes, links, recordings and transcripts of these podcasts on therightbookcompany.com. So welcome, Sue. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Dave. Good, Excellent. Well, in episode one, we talked about the very important why of writing. In episode two, we talked about who. And in episode three, we're going to talk about the what, because what is also very important. Now, I know you were, you, you, when you were talking to me about this earlier, you said it was very important that you start with why, mm. and we did, so that's good. And, and, of course, it's very important that you identify your reader, the who, so we did that as episode two, that made sense. But with what, you sort of seem to imply that what is sort of interchangeable in a way in terms of the order you do things with how as well. But we are going to leave how until episode four. Um, so we are going to concentrate on what, but we might stray into a little bit of how here. That's, I suppose that's what I'm saying here in, in my uh, making excuses before we start. But um, so let's talk. So what do you mean? What do we mean by what? What do we mean by what? Yeah. Well, I suppose this is, and I think actually it's really interesting. I'm glad you started that way, reminding everybody of where we started because it's so important that, uh, to me, that that's where one starts, if you like. Because a lot of people start with what. They don't start with why or who. They start with what. And I think quite often that, Okay, it's under, it's understandable. You know, you you think to you, you wake up one morning, you think I've got a great idea for a book, <laughs> and off you go. Um, it the what the here's my book. I'm doing it. It's fantastic. I'm I'm so clever. I've got all this stuff in my head, and here it goes. And I'm going to splurge it all out. And and there's my there's my book. Um, and I meet an awful lot of people who who start with what, um. And actually, you can come unstuck quite quickly that way, I think, because if you don't know what it is you want to achieve and you don't know who it is that you're writing for, it's actually really hard to write a successful book. So when you get to the what, that's because it's fallen out, if you like, of that work that you've done on the why and the who, in my view. So in other words, the what should be a lot easier if you've done the why and the who first. It should be easier and it should be better, quite frankly, because it's there's a reason for you to do it and there's a reason for somebody else to want it. Um, it, it. It moves out of a vanity project into a business case, if you like. I suppose if you start with what as well, the, the danger is you, you, you will, well, as you said earlier, you come unstuck because you will, you'll end up with something and then you'll think, well, actually... I don't know who it's for and I don't know why I'm doing it and and yes I've done it but it's kind of you know it doesn't have that foundation it's it's like building a house without without digging the foundations first 
Exactly. Absolutely. Couldn't put it better myself. So the the there your house will definitely fall down if if it if it doesn't have those early uh excavations done into and and the stones are not put in yes, place yes. so so absolutely couldn't put it better so um so the what must come out of those foundations um in order to be strong and in order to be successful good okay well i think we've 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 made that point very well now that yeah, that yes we're on episode three and it's what but we would urge you to listen to episode one and two first because the why and the who are really really important to underpin the what but having established that um what are the aspects of what that we need to that we need to consider okay so let's have a think about this what's the so the aspects of what what kind of book is it is it a printed book? Nowadays, there are options to create book products that aren't even printed books. So just an e-book or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Now, in in, th- in in reality, interestingly enough, an e-book isn't really a book. Some people don't realise this, but um, in terms of uh, for tax reasons, e-books are are you put there is vat on ta- on e-books it may be kind of disguised by the e-book platforms but there is vat on e-books and the reason for that is that they are actually cl- classified as software you don't own a book when you buy an e-book you you basically buy a license to have that content on your reader or p- computer or whatever so it's not even not technically a book at all but it is the same content as a book that that is fascinating actually but 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 because I'd never thought of that, that it's not a book unless it's, unless it's on a piece of paper, as it were. Mm. But I also think there's, a, there's another thing about e-books as well, which kind of goes to the heart of a lot of what we talked about in episode one and two, about, about the why and the, and the who, because we talked about the fact that you know, one, of the, one of the great whys is, is this sort of credibility mm. thing that comes with publishing in a book. And I don't know that that would exist to quite the same extent if you didn't have that physical thing that you could kind of show people. Maybe I'm just being a bit old-fashioned about that. I don't know. But I love the book itself, the, the physical construct of a book. And, I wonder, and, and to me, that is part of the credibility of saying, I'm an author, I'm an expert, I know how to do this stuff. You know, look, here's the proof. Rather than just pointing at a screen, I can hold up my book. What do you, what do you think about that? I have to say that I think you're right. I think you're right. It is a bit of a personal thing. Um, I was on a, a panel uh, uh, with uh, uh, other speakers not so long ago. One um, very successfully um, self-published author um, who, who had print books and he had them with him. And another uh, speaker who, fabulous guy, but absolutely, he, he, he pulled out of his, um, his bag while we were on the panel, uh, his Kindle. And he, he waved it at the audience and he said, I have, you know, X thousand books in here and that's all I need. And, and uh, you know, massive respect to him. He really does believe that um, it's not necessary these days to have a printed book. 
I don't agree. I, I think what you've just said, you've put your finger on it, as I said. I, I think there is something around the credibility. It's not just about old fashionedness and the fact that we love print books. It goes a bit deeper than that. I think it is actually to do with the fact that it's a curating thing to an extent. Now, self-publishing has has burst open. It's broken down a lot of barriers. And this is how, you know, you, you mentioned we may stray slightly into the how here. We will be looking at this in, in more detail in, I believe, the next episode. But essentially, it's around the fact that if you now go on to Amazon, you can stick your book whatever that means to you onto kindle and have a book published tomorrow and that book could be anything it could be the book that you woke up this morning going eureka i've got the greatest idea for a book and then you've sat down and spent the day writing it it could be that or it could be something you have spent the last six months considering thinking about your why thinking about your who looking at how it's going to help you develop your business, all of those things. The people out there in the world who need the information that you have to offer are not going to know the difference between what you've done with great care and passion and what somebody else might have done literally because they could, because they had a spare day. So... For me, the difficulty is around that curating part, that there is an awful lot of information now available online, a lot of available digital information. And every book that we publish, is we always do a digital version of it. And I think it's incredibly important because people can choose then to digest the content in the way that suits them. But there's a difference between creating a book that's purely in digital form and that is a digital version of a printed book. And there's something about the printed book, the kudos, if you like, the credibility, the fact that it is a tangible product that somebody can buy for X pounds or X dollars, whatever it is, that is seen, therefore, as something which has real value. And I think this is all supported by the fact that the demise of the traditional book uh, has not come about, or it certainly hasn't come about yet, Mm. and it has been predicted for some time. But in fact, real books sell better now than than I think they have ever done. I think Amazon sells a lot of, not just Amazon, but to use an example, uh, they sell a lot of real books. And yes, of course, people want to have stuff on their Kindle to read on the beach and all that sort of thing. And that makes sense. And but yeah, it's having the ability to buy that real book that I think is is very important. And there is something I mean, we're sitting in your office here, surrounded by books mostly books that you yourself have been involved in the publishing of. But it's a lovely thing, actually, Mm. to see these books around us. And you can pick them up and flick through them and think, "Mm, yeah, do I want to read that? In a way you simply can't do with a digital version. So let's let's put our cards on the table. We like real books. We love real books. And we've got nothing against (laughs) e-books. I've read e-books myself on my phone and all that sort of thing. But we still love real books. So to get back to the what and the point of episode three here... Uh, you know, yes, 
there's a decision to be made about whether it's an ebook or a or a physical book. But in terms of that credibility building and the and the boosting of the profile and all the things that we've talked about in the first two episodes and the whole reason for these podcasts, really, then I think it's our view, if I'm interpreting this correctly, that uh, it's we're looking at a real book here, and of course there will be an ebook version of it. Yeah. Good. Okay. So once we've made that decision. Um, and clearly there are implications which we'll come to in, 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 the, in the sort of next episode about publishing and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But there are other aspects to the what, aren't there? Like, as well as, you know, once you've decided to, to publish a real book, then, then there's design and what it looks like and all those sorts of things, mm. I guess, that you've got to think about. So who makes those decisions normally in, a, in the process about what, about what a book looks like? Yeah, well, I suppose that comes back to, to also thinking about um, about those first two questions as well, the, the why and the who. So what what's your purpose for the book? Who, who, who is it for? Will definitely have um, some bearing on what the book looks like and what the, what the style of the book is, you know. It, and actually, I suppose, even before thinking about design and, and the look of a book, it, it's, you know, like a big question I get asked is, how long is a book these days? You know, what what is... What is the what is the standard length? Now I absolutely can tell you that ten years ago we would have all gone around saying that a business book was a particular length. You know, it really would you would expect a business book to be at least sixty thousand words. And that would be that. Ten years has gone by and the world has changed dramatically, so much so that our authority guide series, for instance, of which there are 20 now, they are less than 20,000 words. And they are concise, practical. I know I'm not here to sell the authority guides, but the point about the authority guides is that that market is, has now opened up to us completely because people want quick solutions to problems that they face in business they just want to be told in this concise and as attention grabbing if you like way because we are all so distracted by so much information and we have we are so time poor that now reading a 60,000 word business book is a real commitment Whereas 10 years ago, we, we did it all the time. So I'm not saying that there's no space for the 60,000ers. Don't get me wrong, there still are. There's still space for that. And that might be right for your book, without any doubt. But what I'm saying is that there's now a wide range of possibilities in terms of what a book looks like, what a book could be. It could be a short 96-page authority guide, or it could be a much longer affair, but it depends on your why and your who and all of those things. And, and, and what about, you know, getting back to maybe not so much the length of the book, but the, but the look, the design of it. Mm, um, yes. You know, because, because you see books that are sort of, I suppose, you might loosely describe as coffee table books. Sure. As opposed to bedside books, if that's, Indeed. A, if that's a good distinction. Uh, you know, in other words, smaller versus larger format. Absolutely. Regardless yeah. of the number of words. And and obviously, I guess in a coffee table book, there's perhaps more opportunity for lovely pictures and, and things like that displayed in a large format than, than perhaps in a traditional small paperback. So again, presumably that comes back to where you're aiming the book and who and the, and yeah. the audience, the who. Do you know, I think one useful way of thinking about it is 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 kind of what's the job description for the book, really? Yeah. You know, what do you want the book to do? 
I just started working with a wonderful woman who uh, she's a doctor, but she's she's um, basically uh, sort of looks after people's skin. She's an amazing skincare doctor, but she has a clinic in London and she sees people to help them just make their skin beautiful and that that sort of thing and so I think she's called um, an aesthetic doctor but that she's not a she doesn't um, use surgery and she's written a fabulous coffee table book which is uh, called bath time so it's all about the whole history of bathing and and what people have put in baths over the years to make their skin soft and supple and beautiful and she's got you know recipes in there gorgeous photography um you know it's going to be the most sumptuous beautiful coffee table style book and this will be something that's perfectly positioned for her Knightsbridge clinic it's it you know it it's ideal to kind of to give a sense of luxury and gorgeousness but actually it's got loads of really great information in there that shows her to be the expert that she is in her field so everyone will be different you know for some for me my little 18,000 words authority guide to publishing a business book no pictures really to speak of just as much information as I can get in a concise space is is what was required for Dr Kubika it's it's actually a whole different ball game so yes it could be anything in between those two as well I'm, you know. I'm fascinated by the idea of a book about bathing and, yes and, and, I, and I, I it's awful but into my mind came the sort of books that my girls had when they were very little that you could actually take into the bath <laughs> yeah. you know these sort of waterproof <laughs> hey, books there's an idea so i'm wondering whether she should publish it in that form perhaps she you know? should there's <laughs> I mean, a good there's you a can good only example. get about four pages in but you know <laughs> at least you can read it in the bath yes yeah, that, that does sound like a nice book yeah and and, and um Another thing, uh, uh, after we've decided on, on our format and our number of words and all that sort of thing, then there's the issue of tone and, and language, mm. presumably. And we did mm. we touched on that in, in our Who episode, in episode two. But um, talk to me a little bit about that and the importance of it when, when you're making these what decisions. Yeah, it's a question I get asked a lot is, you know, like people say when it comes to, you know, the, the, the question of what should I write, it's like, you know, what, what, kind, of t- what kind of tone should I adopt? Um, what kind of style should I, should I take? I think again, and I think, you know, we, we said this last time, but it, you know, we need to be, um, we need to be informed by who we're writing for. Very important. Um, and but but also also to an extent to remember that your personality needs to shine through so it you need to kind of get a kind of a happy place where you're you're not you don't want to use an over academic tone for instance with a, an audience which is primarily not an academic audience that's kind of a no brainer i know but for instance, I mean, I know an awful lot of people who are experts in their field who have come from an academic background and who are very good writers, but maybe all they've ever written is of a more academic style. Um, one of the things I believe quite strongly is that if you're writing for business owners, business leaders, entrepreneurs, that sort of thing, don't use lots of kind of academic style devices like, you know, footnotes and that sort of thing which may feel natural to you because that's it, it makes sense to you to do that. But actually it can interrupt 
a busy reader, a reader who just wants the information quickly. Most of the time, with a standard business book, footnotes are not necessary. You know, they just get in the way. So if, you've got, if you're putting footnotes because you want to refer to other people's material, great. Just refer to the material and stick all the information that you need into, into a list at the back of the book. And then people can look it up and they can read further if they want, but they're not constantly being interrupted by a rather academic, slightly kind of feel... It might even make your book feel a bit stuffy when actually it's not stuffy at all. So it's little things like that about thinking through what's going to work for you, what's gonna, what might interrupt your reader... What will keep them engaged is perhaps a better way to look at this. And I suppose another thing, sorry, I interrupted mm. you there, but I suppose another thing is is the issue of illustration mm-hmm. as well, yeah. uh, which is all part of the design thing, I know. But mm. but presumably some subjects, again, and this is very much going to depend on the type of book you're writing, but so, like the Bath book, for example, I'm obsessed by the Bath book now, I want, <laughs> I want a copy immediately. Uh, but, but that's clearly that's going to have, can have lots of lovely illustrations in it. But even a, a, a straightforward business book mm-hmm. might have some very informal diagrams that help to explain things in a, in, a, in, a, in a different way and that sort of thing. So presumably it, it pays to really think about that stuff and perhaps employ the services of a, of a, of a professional illustrator or, or somebody like that to help with this sort of thing. I think the, the, the point of illustrations is, is a really good one. I mean, obviously, with the bath time book that we were talking about, clearly that's an enormous part of the brief for that book so if that book has a job description which is to be this lovely luxurious sumptuous product that's for sale in 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 a a skincare clinic um as well as obviously uh you know promoting the expertise of its author then that book needs to be gorgeous and sumptuous and have beautiful pictures in it sometimes i find that business book authors are tempted to add lots of illustrations and when you question them with why they're doing that and you really dig deep it could be that they perhaps feel that there isn't the writing isn't enough and I always say just check out whether or not any illustrations you're tempted to put in really do enhance your message do they serve your reader or do they serve your nervousness about your content because it it, quite honestly a lot of the time we don't need so much help we don't need as much help as you might think that we need we need you to write clearly we need you to write in an engaging fashion we need you to keep us entertained with good stories stories I think are more important in a in most books than anything else but if there is a good reason to have lots of visual content, then great, go for it. But it is, it, it's just about what's appropriate. Because I suppose in... you could, there's a danger, you might, you might even patronise your audience if you, if, you, if you kind of lay it out in sort of cartoon-like, you know, pictures for three-year-olds type thing. And, and you, you don't want to insult anybody's intelligence. Uh, I can't um, tell you how many times I've seen books around a sensible business subject that I've thought, oh, that that could be very useful. And then I have felt really patronised by idiotic cartoons that absolutely do not fit with the content and are there because probably the author really hasn't got to grips with the fact that if they had written that book for me, 
then it would have worked anyway. Mm -hmm. It would have worked with good stories, with good content. So illustrate your points with great stories, great, whether that's case studies or whether it's just, you know, short stories. Do all of that rather than draw pictures, which may not even be, you know, in a style that's appropriate for your reader. So I think that illustrates beautifully why the why and the who the first two stages that we covered in episode one and episode two of these podcasts is so important because if you've got that right then hopefully it'll be pretty obvious to you whether illustrations are appropriate and if they are what they should be the style and that sort of thing whereas if you start with a what and you think oh i'm going to draw some nice cartoons because they're fun then you do you're immediately running that danger of of getting getting the tone wrong patronizing your audience that sort of thing absolutely absolutely okay brilliant well that's a very good note to end on i think because that is all we've got time for i'm afraid so my thanks to my expert co-presenter sue richardson you can get lots more help and advice on writing and publishing your book by joining our facebook group the write book project where you can also leave a comment ask sue your questions or give us your ideas for future shows Or why not visit our website at therightbookcompany.com to sign up for one of Sue's popular webinars or read her blog. We'll be back in two weeks with episode four, I think it will be. So please join us then. And in the meantime, keep writing.